Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today and, as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends, your family, and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Alex Weber, is an international keynote speaker and award-winning host for NBC, competitor on the Emmy-nominated series American Ninja Warrior, and author of his book, Fail Proof, Becoming the Unstoppable You. And in addition to all of that, Alex came through college as a highly competitive and accomplished lacrosse player and then award-winning coach. And having said all of that, Alex also knows what it feels like to come up against and hit big challenges, live with self-doubt, face uncertainty and failures. And he shares his experience with others to have them overcome what they're facing. In this conversation today, Alex shares some insights into his system of how to be a leader in your life, realize your fullest self, and accomplish your biggest goals in your career, your relationship, and the life of your dreams. Listen in. Let's get this conversation started. Alex Weber, thanks for joining me on the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Good to have you. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, good to have you. Good to meet you, as a matter of fact, because this is the first time that we've had a, a conversation. We literally, you're on a tight schedule today, so uh, we didn't even have much time for a pre-conversation. <laughs> yeah, you know, it sounded like uh, you dive in the deep end, and uh, hey, that, that works for me. Okay, we're going deep. So... Always to kick it off, you know, for listeners that don't know who you are, your bio is great, but it isn't, you know, nearly deep enough. So I like to hear from my guests if somebody says, so Alex, what do you do? What do you do, Alex? 
Yeah. So, you know, I, I guess I'll, I'll answer that as this day and time, and then I'll unpack of why I do it and kind of the hope for the future. But I'm a keynote speaker, um, so I've been fortunate to speak for a lot of big organizations, universities, leadership teams, pro sports. Um, I also am a coach for executives and pro athletes. I run a men's group. I've been a speaker, award-winning TV host, uh, American Ninja Warrior competitor, U.S. Lacrosse Coach of the Year. Uh, I'm proud of all of those kind of bullet resume credential life achievements. I really am. And each one of those meant so much and still does. But really, I would say I, I really genuinely love people. And I love people achieving what is in their heart, even if they don't quite think they can do it. So such a great point of entry for this conversation, but, you know, I, I can't step over, you know, listeners aren't seeing you. I'm looking at you because I'm also doing this on Zoom and you're a young man, like you're what, early thirties? How old are you? You're, you're young dude. Yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so how does, you know, somebody in their early thirties, how do you, number one, get to where you are? Aside from that though, it's a thought process. It's a way of being that very few young men have. And so tell me a little bit about your journey to this place where you, number one, understand that you want to be a contribution, you want to make a difference in other people's lives, you're competitive, you then, I think your men's group, if, if that's the right term, is called Men We Admire. Yeah. You're an Instagram, a bit of an Instagram not, no, you're a lot of an Instagram guy, but I mean, in the scope of things, you're, I, I was going to say you're an Instagram phenom, but I guess that's all relative, right? You know, you, it's you, all relative. you do very, very well on Instagram. Let's put it that way. As a matter of fact, it's kind of how we met because a, a friend of mine who happens to pick, pick up on you said, this guy's cool. You should pay attention to him. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm not really ask him if he wants to be on my podcast. So she connected us and, and here you are today. So that's kind of a long-winded background into how we are here today. But give me some of your journey to how does somebody at your age, which I consider young, I'm, you know, I'm more than double your age. So how do we kind of put that into a context? Like, how did you get there? Well, I, I appreciate that. And it's an interesting thing, right? It's, you know, age Oh, age, we could, we could spend a whole session on age because it's such a, a loaded thing in our society mm -hmm. where, sure. you know, every year you attach more pressures, expectations up. I should have been here. I should have done this. This is what my bank account should look like. This is what my personal life should look like, my love life. And so, you know, at times I feel like I'm far behind. At times I feel like I've done a lot. And at times I feel like, okay, you know, maybe I'm just in the path and it will just unfold and I'm where I'm supposed to be. But you know, reflecting on my North Star really my entire life has been listening to whatever it is that I genuinely felt I got to do this. And I think that that's a case by case study. I don't say I think that everyone should always do that. But if you do have a pretty good intuition and you know that there's something in you that not is just this modest like, yeah, it'd be cool to do that. But it's, it's really, you know you got to do it. What I've found is two things. One, in doing that, it just activates so many awesome things in you. It just activates a lot of grit, a lot of focus, a lot of energy, a lot of care, a lot of great qualities. Uh, and two, what it does not activate is resentment and content and regret because we're not doing that thing. 
And you know, that first started when I was in sixth grade, I was this bullied kid. And uh, I hated middle school. I hated it. I had no friends. I ate lunch alone in the math room with my one buddy, Jeff. And then I found out that I was good at lacrosse. My high school coach, Paul Carcaterra, amazing guy. He basically was like, hey, you could be really good at this. And that was the first pursuit, passion, fire in my heart that I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to give everything that my human being is to this. And in doing that, I got friends. I became a cooler, more fun, more confident version of myself. I got to play D1 in the Ivy League. It opened up all these cool things. So why I say that is I really think that this, and again, it's not just like Oh, that would be cool. I have an interest in this. But if there's anything to anyone listening that you you felt for a while that it's beating in your heart that you got to do it, it will just lead to so many awesome things. So I've worked with a lot of men in my life as a coach and and as being part of different groups, you know, men's group that were really about development and personal professional development. So let me ask you this question. You know, there's I always go back to nature or nurture. So take me back to your upbringing in terms of have you got siblings? What was your parents all about? Because at some point there's uh, you know, there's either a lot of support from parents or that's actually you leaned into the resistance from parents, therefore you became something bigger, better, bolder, et cetera. How was it for you? Yeah, it's such a great question. Um, I would say the commonality between my parents is they don't do anything half-assed. They're all out. And it shows itself in very different ways. My mom is a very uh, loving, nurturing pure good, just wants to hug you and feed you. But she's also tough as heck. She's had stage four cancer the last years and she's tough. She's all out. And my dad is a, he's a surgeon. He works out twice a day. He's a growing up. There was just, there was no, it was raining outside. I'm a little tired today. I'm a little hungry. We got to practice. There was just, you do it a hundred miles an hour, everything you have, um, that anything below that is just unacceptable. And He is very intense, but that also gave me a lot of intensity and I've learned how to channel it. At times it's been bad Mm -hmm. because that intensity can get out of control and I've struggled with addiction in my life. Mm -hmm. But when that intensity is channeled for a good outlet, i.e. coaching, sports, American Ninja Warrior, speaking, the book, then it can be really powerful. I joked that I was an accident kid because I absolutely was. Uh, My older brother and sister were much older. They left to go off to college, and uh, that was a really stark experience because I went from having my siblings to then being an only child. And I reflect a lot because I also will speak at high schools and middle schools and universities, and uh, those years were really formidable. Both the darker ones, being bullied, I would write just like, I would lock myself in my room and just write the most emotional poetry, super dramatic, you know, just, just emo, dark teenager stuff. But then sports really saved my life. And now when I talk to people of all ages, it doesn't have to be sports. It could be a business. It could be a person. It could be your family. It could be picking up the tuba. It doesn't matter what it is, but finding a positive outlet in tough times will, it'll save our lives. So was there a point, you know, that when you consider, you know, the intensity of your parents, your dad in particular, in this case, 
you know, when you look back, there was probably, there's been probably some phase of resentment as well, you know, that your, your parents drove you that hard. Perhaps I'm, 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 you know, Please, I'm going to be totally speaking out of school. No resentment from you. You Not at all. So you, oh, 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 no, no. I mean, like, you, you can ask anything. It's all good. <laughs> okay, got it. Uh, <laughs> so but my, my, my question is this, you know, because at some point you pass through that, you lean into that resentment and or you recognize it, and rather than have it shut you down, it actually you channel it to your point. I think that was the word you used. At some point you channel that, that understanding of intensity and what it takes to be a, a overachiever and you actually use it for good. You don't hang out in a dark place is, I don't know if I'm saying that quite right. Yeah. I, you know, and I can speak to both my mom and my dad on this, but my, you know, my dad, I'll start with is very supportive and very loving, meaning like he's probably going to be listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. I can't think there was never one game Ice hockey, lacrosse, tennis, ping pong, chess. I showed promise in chess. Next thing, my dad had me in a chess tournament. But he, you know, drive three hours, sit there. He's so supportive. The intensity, and I've I've had I've reflected on this a lot. I think the intensity was just there was a cliff from winning. Uh, you either win and succeed in your number one, or there's this cliff, and everything else is just second place is just the first loser. Yeah, and I, 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 I try to reflect on, like, you know, is it, you know, coming, and maybe it came from a place of just that he loved me and was maybe worried that I didn't, you know, if I wasn't the best and succeeding, you know, how might that look in life? I, I, I think in my own, and I want to underscore again, like, so supportive and loving, there was just a lot of intensity. I really think, you know, it caught up to me in college, though, because I was so uh, talented as a lacrosse player. I don't feel like, falsely modest or cocky saying that I, I dedicate a lot of my life to lacrosse and I was very talented, but I really wasn't in a good mental state. And in four years of college lacrosse, I had fun three times. There was three games I can remember that were fun. The rest, I was just so stressed that I wasn't, that I was underachieving or that, you know, and it really took me till coaching high school lacrosse that I call that my grad school of life. Best thing I've ever done in my life. I coached high school lacrosse for five years. I was the head coach of Harvard Westlake in LA, very intense, prestigious high school in LA for three years around the time I was 25 best experience of my life. And in coaching those young adults who cared about this so much, their dream was to go off and play in college. That really helped me navigate. How do you handle these moments when things aren't perfect? Uh, and how do you handle it in a way that's actually productive? I'm amazed by how many people, how many leaders, how many executives let their emotions really dictate uh, pivotal moments rather than having poise and understand, okay, what is actually needed here so that we can succeed in the future? Okay, so I'm going to circle back to that, but I want to make a comment that's really interesting, yeah. which is I literally just dropped a podcast, I think today, as we're speaking, uh, uh, with a guest that overachiever, super achiever who said, you know, his, just how supportive his father was. So I, I hone in on that because, you know, lots of listeners are parents, of course, and we maybe need to hear sometimes that, you know, in the case of Ray, Ray made the comedy says, I didn't know I could fail. My dad was supportive to a fault. 
Like if I wow. failed, he turned it into, if I perceived it as a fail, my dad was so supportive that he then turned that into where the lesson was, where the win was, what I could achieve. He says, I never, it never occurred to me as a kid growing up that I couldn't do anything that I really set my mind to. And that's what drove it. I'm hearing a little bit in that, in terms of the support that your dad gave you is differently, but the same, you know, uh. it's like just really supportive. Like we're here, let's drive this, let's go get the most out of your talent. And uh, I just think, uh, I just find it an interesting kind of, you know, thought process that the impact that we can have as parents, where as responsible as parents want to be, they're not necessarily intentional about how they are in fact supporting their kids because they're living into their own stories. But that's a different yeah. conversation. Go ahead. Do you want to comment no, on that? I, I, listen, I can talk volumes on that as yeah. both a D1 athlete, as a U, I, I won U.S. lacrosse high school coach of the year. I, I now work with, I coach in my coaching business. I coach a pro golfer who's a very young, uh, I, I can talk volumes on parents and I mean, let me just say this. The human being, the your kid, whoever's listening, needs to know that he or she is loved regardless of what happens. Yeah. And with that, that yeah, failing and losing is not awesome. And it's and there is a greater version of us. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that does take sacrifice and grit and pain and and uh and drive. Because winning with your friends is awesome and crying and feeling terrible is terrible. Mm -hmm. And those and, and in the reality of life that sometimes our society is skewing towards, I think we're we're really not doing kids a service. You know, I'm not gonna use the cliche of participation trophies, but kind of because there's just some hard truths in life that sports prepare you for. And when you've cried and disappointed yourself, that is a very powerful motivator for the future. Mm -hmm. So when you look at what you, you know, you talked about where you played lacrosse for four years, but where you really enjoyed or had fun just because of your, whatever dialogue you were having with yourself in terms, yeah. you know, what was the difference between when you had fun and those two or three times where you had fun or the rest of the time? Huh. Uh, it's such a good question. I'm laughing because where my mind went was like the times when I was having fun I had crossed over a point of confidence where I was like, I was actually just playing and it still meant like I was playing so hard, so much energy, so much grit, all that stuff. It wasn't like, you know, mm -hmm. but I was just playing right. and in playing something that I was really good at, I was scoring goals. I was having fun. I was doing well. I was celebrating my teammates. I, I would say the threshold was leaving stopping second guessing myself mm -hmm. and uh because there was most of college where i was so fearful to make a mistake that there was most games where i just played safe pretty good lacrosse mm -hmm. which is such an underutilization of potential rather than taking that leap and and that leap was only in a handful of games throughout my entire college career and and i'll just say this uh i know i'm going into this lacrosse weeds but i think this really applies to people that pretty good was still good enough for me to start nearly every game of college across. So it was safe. I knew that if I only took these chances, if I only took these shots, if I only did these moves, I would still start every game, but it was leaving that. I love the expression. Good is the enemy of great. And I think so often in our lives we find good success. And so it's like, well, this is pretty good. This job's pretty good. This relationship's going pretty well. I got a pretty good bank account. I got a pretty good lifestyle. But to get to that great, we do need to leave that safety. 
So you mentioned earlier that in working with some of your clients, uh, men, I'm assuming women as well, but you talked about where emotion gets in the way and or drives decisions, drives direction. Dig into that, unpack that a little bit for me in terms of how do you see where people in general get confused between what they're thinking and what is emotionally driving them? Because that is often the crossover with people is they think that that emotion is actual thought when actually it's just emotion. So, but how do you see it? How do you explain that scenario that you were talking about? Yeah, and I think you nailed it. And I would say the first step is just to be aware. You know, I mean, this goes into also just the realm of consciousness and, and life. You know, we are both this being and we're the watcher. You know, we can think these thoughts, feel these things. We can also observe these things. So I would say just being able to step into that place of observation more and more and more often with a curious mentality. Huh. Today, I feel like, I, you know, today, me, Alex, I feel a little burnt out. I feel a little you know, just exhausted. I feel, okay, huh, that's interesting. I wonder why. I wonder why. Is it something last night? Is it something going on in my life? Did something happen? And, and, and to not immediately act upon it. There's a great thing. I was super into poker for a lot of years. And there's a great expression in poker, on tilt. What on tilt means is after an individual loses a big hand, they're kind of on fray. They are not thinking clearly. That adrenaline's peaking. They're, and usually it takes a while for it to settle down. So what happens oftentimes is if someone goes on tilt, if they're a newer player, they'll often make a lot of bad decisions in the next hands after. Same thing in life. If something happens from a bad email to you stub your toe till you know you get out of bed in a groggy way or whatever it might be, that, e that person from work emailed you that thing, they still aren't getting it to you. Whatever it is, just realize that the next moments of your life, depending on how you operate, you might be on tilt. So maybe it's best to not engage in a meaningful way of talks or actions or, you know, same thing if we're with someone we love and we get activated. I'm a pretty cool guy, pretty cool customer. There are a couple things that still really I'm sensitive to. And I've learned through my relationships and friends, if I get affected, if someone pierces me through the armor, just take a beat. You'll never regret taking a moment before you say that thing or do that thing with someone that you care about. You know, that's such an interesting discipline for people to have. It's an interesting discipline for young men to gain if they're open to the conversation. You know, this goes back to the awareness, you know, uh, Wayne Dyer years ago, you know, asked the question, who is the thinker of the thoughts? You know, Michael Singer, who is, you know, wrote the book Surrender Experiment and and uh, The Untethered Soul and now uh, the new book Living Un Untethered. So my, my point is this, is that, you know, we don't realize that we're not our thoughts to exactly what you said is observe your thoughts. Well, okay. If you're observing your thoughts, who's observing your thoughts, which is just speaks to exactly what you said, which is we're not that thought. So when something pushes a button and puts you or activates you, then it's really about stepping back yeah. and saying, okay, hold on here. What is that really? Who is, yeah. who is that thought? What is that emotion? Right. It, now, yeah. is that, am I on point with kind of where you were taking it there, Alex? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you nailed it. And, you know, 
the variable is we all handle emotions differently. I have friends and work with people who are pretty cool customers. They're, they're not very emotional. Uh, on the robot to drama, you know, theater person, they're probably more robotic. Mm -hmm. I also work with people and have friends who are very emotional. So really, it's up to the individual listening to understand where are you on this emotional roller coaster and what activates you and to know, you know, this is just like if you're going to a dinner or let's say you're going to a wedding, okay? You're going to a wedding and maybe you're single right now and you're going to the wedding and that might be activating for you. You're going to know that you're going to go there and people might say some things or the classic example, if you go home for Thanksgiving and your uncle or your grandma says something that gets you going, just to be aware of what what sets you off a little bit? You know, I'm going back to see family shortly and I've learned the lesson many times over that I really need to be diligent and intentional and get ahead of, I'm spending this time with this person and then this time with this person. Because if I don't do that, it gets lost in the gray and I feel like a guilty mess. So these are just lessons that we learn throughout life, oftentimes only through mistakes, um, but it really just comes down to being aware of, of who you are. It is such an interesting dynamic, of course, with family and significant others. You know, emotions drive our thoughts, which is interesting. Some would argue that, well, thoughts drive our emotions, but let's just take that reverse. Emotions drive our thoughts, thoughts drive our actions often. We think it's the other way around. But it's an interesting place to actually have the awareness to step back from it, understanding that if you have repeating patterns, for example. Now, the reason I bring it to this, Alex, is I want to know a little bit more about your men's group, because I think, you know, yeah. like you say, you're a young man, you're, you're, you're actually kind of an old soul in terms of your thought process from my experience. And, and so I ask, you know, in, in your men's work, I'm assuming you're choosing to work with men because number one, you're a man. Number two, you see that gap where you see men who are actually not all that evolved emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And it, it opens up a door for you to have meaningful conversations with young men. Is, and, and so, but I don't know the concept of men we admire. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I appreciate it. So, you know, I'll, I'll give the background and it, and it came out of 2020 um, where I just was not in a good place. Uh, I really wasn't for a lot of reasons. Um, speaking work had gone away, which is really like my passion and purpose being with people. That's, that's what I want to do with my moments on earth. And then I broke my hand. I couldn't compete in American Ninja Warrior. I'd gone through a breakup. My mom was sick. It was just, I was not doing well. And it had kind of been rattling around in my head all that year of like, I felt alone. And a lot of my best times were either with my sports team or even after college, I had a really good group of guy friends. And even when I coached high school lacrosse and it was just, you know, when I was doing stand-up comedy and we had like a crew and American Ninja Warrior, I had my training crew. I was just like, where's my team? And I had that realization of, I felt like an athlete without a team. And this has all been rattling around in my head. And I hadn't also seen a men's group that I felt aligned with. And every so often, usually every quarter, it's my type A hippie side. I go out into like the woods uh, and I just do a recalibrate and journal and ask myself some questions and think on things and just get outside to just recalibrate. Am I on the right path still? Is this who I want to be? Before I go spend the next three months or beyond in the minutia, go, go, go. Is this even what I want to be doing? Mm -hmm. So I took a moment. I was like, Alex, like this isn't really the man you want to be. 
And I took out a paper and a pen and I wrote, okay, well, who do you want to be? And I go, okay, well, who are men that I admire? And I wrote, men I admire. And I started making this list of men that I knew. And some man I admired that he was a family man. I admired that this guy lives a passionate, purpose-filled life. I, like, I love how this guy is just authentically himself. And I got to the sixth name and I was just, it was one of the few moments in my life that whatever you believe in, I was, it was just, oh, this, this is what it is. And I took out my phone and I recorded a video. I said, hey, I'm Alex. Uh, I'm not the man that I want to be. And I don't think that I'm alone. I think there's a lot of us. Fast forward, that became Men We Admire. And we're now a year and a half in. Uh, and I call it, it is a community for high achieving men. It's community, connection, and camaraderie. And why I feel so fired up is a lot of reasons. One, I hadn't seen my guy. I think it's so awesome that men's groups are becoming more and more mainstream. It's needed. And we're all going to find the group that is right for you. And there's going to be some groups that are made more spiritual, some groups that are made more business, some groups that are more fitness. I hadn't found my guy. And so in starting this, it was kind of planting my flag and saying, hey, I'm my guy. If you resonate with this, come on in. And it's really awesome because I'm a big fan of guys. I'm a big fan of men. And the last couple of years, and this is not a comparison game. This is not a competitive game where we need to say, well, it's tougher to be this. It's tougher to be this kind of a person, this kind of person. All I'm going to say is it's not easy to be a guy. It's not easy to be a man who has really high ambitions and wants to do a lot in this life and wants to provide and create a family and build a legacy and build an impact. There's a lot of pressures that come with that. There's a lot of insecurities a lot, a lot that come with that. There's a lot of depression, addiction, men. Straight men lead suicide charts. So this is very needed. And uh, sometimes I'll get, so in short, it's been such a beautiful thing. And, uh, and I get a little fired up with this because sometimes people will say, oh, great, another place for straight men. Or like, oh, you know, they'll see a photo of us and it's me and four guys and we all happen to be these straight white men. And they're like, oh, great, this is exactly what the world needs. And I get so worked up with that. Why is it a bad thing that, men want to get together and, and, it, and they happen to be straight or they happen to be white or they happen to be young men. When do we get so twisted in our, in our society that now don't get together, don't work on yourself, don't have friendship, don't care on yourself. It's so bizarre. And so I actually am here to say, I don't care who you are. I don't care if we end up being 10,000 straight white men, that's okay. And in that, in that authenticity, and I'll finish with this, we have gay men, we have men from the Middle East, we've got men from Asia, we've got men from all over because they see that we are just authentically, we wanna be there for men. And we're not playing this damn political correct game of pointing fingers, we're really here for good. Mm -hmm. Sermon done. <laughs> well done. Well done. So <clears throat> I understand that. I love the thought process, you know, for years, you know, many years ago, one of my own coaches, we, you know, created a program, men's executive group at the time, and we actually created what was called the context for living. So defining who are you in the context of your life? The exercise, one of the exercises that I've run guys through many times was interesting. You did that one on your own, which was, you know, look at all the people that you admire. We used to do the exercise, you know, list the, the men in this case that 
you admire and what are the qualities that they have? You know, list 10, 20, whatever it is, you know, men you know, men you think you know, men you see in public, whatever it is, list all of the qualities that you admire. And it was always a bit of a kind of a underhanded trick exercise because when they formed that list, they'd have 10 or 20 things uh, that they yeah. admired of those men. And then we'd go, okay, beautiful. There's your to-do list. Because if you want to define yourself, there's the list of things that you can set yourself into and then start to become, start to actually shift into being the man that you admire in your case. So it's kind of a cool exercise. I love, I love the direction that you, yeah. uh, that you're going with it. Now, it's, tell me a little bit about, you know, there's a, I think, I'm, I, I haven't looked at your Instagram a lot. I got to say that I kind of don't do that with my guests. I don't check them out beforehand. Sure. I, I rather get investigative. But there was yeah. something that you, that I picked up on your Instagram that was along the lines of care less about what people think. Or it's something along the lines of just be yourself, be comfortable being yourself, which is goes back to speaking even to you creating the men's group that you did. You took a stand. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is what I'm interested. If you align with that, join me. And if you don't, then don't. But yeah. you, you, you are actually are learning to be, number one, who you are, true to yourself and being okay with being true to yourself. Yeah. I, you know what? I'm not sure the exact video, or, but, but that's definitely... And I think this true to ourselves notion is, is constantly evolving the more we find out about ourselves too. Discovery, you know? right? Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, it's really interesting. As I got into keynote speaking, I was coming from stand-up comedy and TV hosting. And I think this is really important uh, for anyone listening. If you resonate on on the different um, presentations of ourselves, the professional one, the personal one, the friend one, the lover one. As I got into keynote speaking, I really distanced myself from kind of the stand-up comedian, Alex. I kind of distanced myself from a little bit of the more raw, fiery guy that I am and the, that I was and I won U.S. Lacrosse Coach of the Year because I was like, well, now I'm speaking in front of people in suits and they paid money for me to be here and they have, they have big jobs and big titles. And it took me a little while. And, you know, I was getting all these big events in 2019 and then 2020 happened. And in this, since coming out of that in 2021 and now in 2022, I think... In that journey, I just was pushed to be back to the real, authentic, fiery, not always polished, you know, $10 million words, not like cursing, but not million dollar words, but more just real language and felt more like myself. And why I share that was the connection with audiences and people, the impact, the effect that I hear from people later on is so much deeper and more meaningful than when I was trying to present this polished, professional, squeaky clean version of myself. And it's counterintuitive to a certain degree. And I, I think it is almost takes us a little bit of embracing the fear that we're gonna show our real authentic selves and part of it is not going to be accepted. And that is like, one of the scariest experiences for a human being to be rejected for who you really are. And I'm not going to say that that won't happen, but what I will say is you will be amazed and surprised by how many people will truly accept you for who you really are. 
Yeah, I think there's a fundamental fear. You know, it's people in my world of coaching, they, you know, one of the things that they're often saying is, I'm, uh, you know, I fear failure. But the reality that I've learned over the years is people don't really fear failure per se. What they fear is the judgment of yeah. peers, friends, family, that the, in whatever perception of failure is, it's more they fear the judgment of that that shuts them down. Yes, 100%. 100%. I, yeah. So, you know, in your work with men, in your own personal experience, you know, you mentioned earlier on that you went through a tough time in 2020. And part of that was the, you know, a breakdown of a relationship. How important a role do you see, you know, for men having a significant other in their life? Is that something, you know, like I look at my life, you know, I've been with my, I've been married to my wife 26 years. We've been in together 30. And I look at just how important a role that she's played in my life in all aspects of it, by the way, you know, whether it be business or personal or whatever it might be. I mean, she, and the, I mean, she happens to be an Olympic medal performance coach, but that wow. doesn't really change. That wouldn't have changed anything. She was, before she was that, she was still my wife kicking my ass and calling me out on shit and supporting me and us helping each other but she was a significant part of everything we've accomplished mm -hmm. and and so how do you in your world today as a young man that is is looking at men we admire is that one of the things that are on their list oh 100 and that's so awesome about about you and your wife and it's an interesting journey uh especially you know dating in in nowadays age um there's so what do you do? What do you do? So this is this. I didn't mean to go yeah. down this path, but what do you do? Yeah. I mean, are you a swipe right, swipe left guy? Are you, uh, you know, go out to a party guy? Are you like how how does a young man today? Well, yeah, and and I think I'm going to go back to awareness too of of, of where are you in your journey? Mm -hmm. You know, I uh, again, you know, the pro golfer that I coach. There's a, uh, a a guy who's starting this business that means a lot to him. It might not be right for them right now in their journey mm -hmm. to dedicate a lot of their time, energy, focus to pursuing a relationship because their hard wiring or soft wiring is going to be so damn passionate about that thing that they care about coming to fruition. That's probably not the time for them to, you know. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if there's a right or a wrong, you know. And then we have guys who are married, guys who are divorced, guys who have gotten into engagements, guys who broke off engagements. We do live in a time where there's an abundance of options, choices, what ifs. I mean, it's just the state of of where we. Yeah. How I'll answer that question for men we admire is, we all want to be the version of ourselves that then can meet and more likely and hopefully attract the person that we no brainer can't wait to spend our life with mm -hmm. versus giving time energy to chasing on an app to chasing at a bar to chasing at a party i'm not saying don't go to those things we're not sure, saying sure. If you someone don't you know honor it respect it give it your all but our North Star is us developing into the version of ourselves that we're chasing such that we feel that we could attract the partner that we really want to be with. Mm -hmm. Love that. Now, you're a top performer. You're competitive, highly competitive, you know, in what you do. I mean, you know, Ninja Warrior is not for lightweights. How'd you do, by the way? How'd you do on Ninja? Yeah, so my journey with American Ninja Warrior, I was a, TV, I was a host 
for two years. Mm. Uh, I hosted a series and my job, I was just a host. I thought I hung up the cleats for all athletics. My part of my job was to try the obstacles. And in doing that and failing and failing and failing and failing and failing, I fell in love with it. We won an award for that series, but I fell in love, became a competitor and have now competed two times. Oh, great. Yeah. And uh, now have you, have you hung it up this time now for a while or are you no, still? I, I never will. Uh, and that's an important thing. I got really depressed when people started calling me a former athlete. And so, I mean, I'm going to go to the Ninja Warrior gym tonight and whether I compete again on American Ninja Warrior or if I uh, channeled to a new athletic pursuit, I will continue to, this is a very real thing. I don't ever want to let my foot off the gas again of, of being an athlete. It lights you up. Lights me up. It makes me feel like I'm not dead yet. You know, when I stopped, when college lacrosse ended and people were like, yeah, you're a former athlete. I got overweight. I turned to alcohol. Uh, I even did drugs. I, it was just, I was really depressed. And this is a very common thing with athletes. You dedicate your entire life to this thing. It's your identity. And then hard stop. And you're like, ah. Uh, Okay, what what do I do now? Where does this go to? And if you're lucky, you have a positive outlet. But if you're not, a lot of bad things can happen. So uh, again, something that I said earlier in our talk, a positive outlet can save our lives. You know, there's such an interesting conversation around identity. You know, there, you know, it seems that since, you know, we, the pandemic and so many things changed and to your point, all of a sudden you're not that face on stage. You're not that individual it's becomes, and you're not a competitor, for example, uh, you know, on the field on a regular basis and having worked with many athletes, you know, many, many athletes over the past uh, 30 years of my own career and in my wife, Stephanie's career with Olympic athletes, even who we ask the question, who are you when you're not that? Who are you if you're not that? And we then refer to it as the other side of the medal. We've literally been with world champions who, you know, two hours after picking up their medal, we're doing a debrief and shipping, sipping champagne. And the question is, now what? And it's literally, who are you if you're not that? So when you're in the training of it, when you're in the yeah. initial, you, there's identity to that. Oh, you, you win the podium. You're on the podium, somewhere on the podium. Yeah. There you are. And then when you step down off that podium, who are you now? Especially yeah. if it's the last time you'll compete at a world-class level, for example, or in the NHL, whatever that might be. So identity is a big one. And it, we, we, it's an easy example to use in sport. But what did what have you seen perhaps even in with your business clients perhaps is that is do you see a common kind of theme and only we use men I mean it's I know it's with women as well but we're only because we're onto this kind of yeah channel called men how do you see that how do you support men around that conversation or do you well identity is so big and I'll I'll even notice depending on how I feel about myself it's just so I, I you know I've collected through the years all of these. I'll have a cool American Ninja Warrior sweatshirt. I'll have a Penn Lacrosse t-shirt. I'll have, you know, uh, an award from one of the speaking of things I did, I'm looking at, and it's just, depending on how I feel that day, I might grab that sweatshirt and feel really great. There's been times when maybe I haven't been training or whatever, uh, I didn't get to compete on American Ninja Warrior, broken hand, whatever, I'll grab the American Ninja Warrior sweatshirt and I'll put it back. And I'll have to stop myself because I do have this awareness now of like, why did you put that sweatshirt back? Do you not feel good enough to put it on? Do you not feel like that's who you are? And it, it's very real. I'll say this. I think we need to be cautious 
of attaching too much of our self-worth to an identity that is outside of us. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is there was a big identity of me that was a lacrosse player. There's a big identity of me that was a stand-up comedian. There's a big identity of me that's a speaker or American Ninja Warrior. I am all those things. I love all those things. I'm also just me as a human being. And you are you as a human being. And the person listening is not always the director of that department, is not always the salesperson, is not always these things. You're also just you. And I think if we can carve out moments of feeling good about ourselves, independent from pursuits or resume credentials, it's a lot more sustainable and grounded. It's an interesting thought process isn't it, around identity because the people that care most about you, that are closest to you and love you, don't actually give a shit what you do. Michael, you know, Michael Jordan, for an example, and, you know, like some of the, and I use him as an example because he just popped yeah, into my mind, yeah. but NBA guys, like big name athletes or, you know, very successful uh, business guys. When they go home, their kids could give a shit about them being anything more than their dad. And as a matter of fact, they don't even want to hear about what they yeah. do. So where does where does the need for identity live? Does it live even beyond that? It's always with us. It's always our perception of what people think of us. That's my view of it, by the way. I'm not saying that's, that's not the truth, because at the end of the day, where, you know, uh, I could, you know, you know, I do public things, but that's you know so people i uh, where's my identity with them i don't even know what they think really you know of in, in terms of identity i just know when i come home nobody quite frankly gives a shit you know good for you <laughs> <laughs> you know cook dinner take out the garbage I mean, and, and i think that stuff's so nice you know i remember dave Grohl. this always stuck with me it was back i was a teenager he's a you know a singer of foo fighters yeah you know huge band and he said you know someone asked him why are all these uh, young celebrities, you know, and I don't want to, it was Lindsay Lohan at the time, you know, I hope she's doing well. And I think she is, but at the time, you know, her and, and that kind of tier were hitting some rough patches and they're young, a lot of money, all this stuff. And he was asked, what advice do you have for them? And he said, get out of the nightclub and have a barbecue with people who care about you. Yeah, beautiful. And I, it's just so true. Cause when you got good friends, you got good family around where you just settle in and that exterior, you know, stuff goes away Oh, that stuff is just, um, that'll, that'll keep you human. Yeah, that's very good. So when you look three years, five years down the road, you know, do you have a view of what you, I don't know, need to have accomplished or achieved or what it's got to look like for you to sit back and go, yeah, I did a great job when you look five years down question. the road. Um, one of my greatest dreams is to go on tour uh, as a performer. And I've done versions of this. I've done a lot of versions of this. I did it as a version, you know, being a host with NBC. I would do a version of it as a keynote speaker. I've done a version of it as a stand-up comedian, part of like a troupe. But my real dream is to, uh, Mel Robbins is a North Star of mine, to build up the impact and community enough so that I can throw my own events and doing that around the country. Beautiful. It'd be pretty awesome if at the end of some of those shows, there was uh, a lovely woman and a child <laughs> who wanted to spend time with me after. I, I wouldn't hate that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be good too. Got it. So, you know, when when you consider, 
you know, all that you've accomplished and, you know, you look back on what you've done, you've learned from those things, you're growing, you know, both personally and professionally, you've got your men's group going. So you have to consider yourself, I'm sure you see yourself as a leader. Now, there's some belief that, you know, you hear these comments that, you know, he's a natural born leader, he's a natural leader. Is leadership something that you that comes quite natural to you? Or do you actually study the qualities of other leaders? Do you study the qualities that you think you need to develop to be a great leader? Is it something conscious for you of study? Or does it just kind of manifest given your character and who you are? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll say this. Sports kind of pushed me into a position of leader being like captains of teams. But then when I was in college lacrosse and I mentioned those down moments, I wasn't a captain and that really killed me. And I was like, maybe I'm not a leader. And then when I was became the U.S. lacrosse coach of the year again and leading these teams, I was like, oh, I am. And that was my grad school of leadership was running this very intense because it was just this beautiful microcosm. And then I then, you know, you know, I've read the books with Simon Sinek. I've read all these books. You either care or you don't. I'm more of a doer than like a reader. Uh, I think you learn by doing. And at the end of the day, I would encourage people, yes, read the books on leadership, pick up the tools, pick up the tactics. At the end of the day, that time energy that you might be delegating to that book of an hour you delegate that time and energy into caring and building a relationship with the people that you're leading, use the books as a coaster. Um, so my, my honest belief is that leadership is people. And uh, the more that you sincerely care, connect, and know about people, the better off you'll be as a leader. Beautiful. Okay. Now I know we're limited for time. So I'm, you know, we'll start to wind down. When I get into a wind down mode, Alex, I kind of run through what we would recall or what I would call rapid fire questions that are rarely rapid, but we'll go through the few of them anyways to kind of finish this sure. off. Speaking of books, uh, what are you reading? What do you, or what is one of your favorite books, most impactful books that you've read or one that you like to gift? Is there a book that's a standout for you? Yeah. Oh gosh. So Gay and Gay Hendricks um, is just uh, a phenomenal author. So really, all of his books. Same with Dr. Henry Cloud. Uh, I was just told to read The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. Mm -hmm. So that's next up on the list. And, and also books like you know that are just have to do with you know. I remember I read back in the day, uh, you know, The Secret and things like that. Which forget all the cliche and brandings. That positive psychology of rewiring our subconscious is uh is massive cool favorite inspirational quote do you have one ha, this popped in my head if you're gonna do it do it that was from my mom <laughs> great do you have a favorite swear word oh gosh i mean the f word just you know is timeless and so versatile so i guess you know but not recklessly for impact for the time and a place <laughs> not recklessly damn it very good <laughs> that's very good if um if heaven exists what do you want to hear god say when you arrive at the gates you did what i wanted you to do you have a favorite tune and or band Ooh, well right now i'm listening to zach bryan on repeat he is the truth yes do you have a favorite movie i love uh forrest gump interstellar and win it all. Win it all. I don't think I've seen that. Okay. 
your room, your desk, or your car, what do you clean first? <laughs> your car desk. Your desk, your clean desk guy. Okay, got it. Do you have a favorite Netflix or streaming series that you're into these days, given you know the lockdown, or are you just kind of off Netflix right now? Uh, I'm in it now in a season of life, especially Boulder summer. I really haven't been doing the TV a lot, which feels good. But comfort food is Seinfeld, Friends, New Girl, The Office. A funny comedy is comfort food. Beautiful. And uh, Alex, last question for you what are you grateful for oh man uh so much i'll say you know the premier thing that i'm grateful for right now is i'm grateful that there is a fire in my heart of things that i want to do i'm grateful that i do love people and i'm grateful that i have skills and abilities to still do it i'm still here on earth beautiful now alex i've never asked this question before of a podcast guest but as we wind down What's one, two, three things that, you know, that you didn't say today that you would want listeners to hear? Anything that stands out for you? Yeah, I would just be really mindful of two things I'll say. One, the question that changed my life. It's in my book. It's in, it changed my life in college. What do you want for your moments on earth? Don't fear that question. Ask that question. Ask it every day. And the more that we ask it, and move in alignment with it the more that we'll ask it and at times we'll maybe have to make big changes but more that we ask it sometimes we'll just look around and be like yeah this is what i want for my relationship this is what i want for my family this is what i want for my job this is what i want for my for my life so that and two be really mindful of who you listen to there have been people who really saved my life my parents uh coach carcaterra when I listened to them. And then there's been people that told me I could or couldn't do something and not listening to them was actually the best thing that I ever did. So don't always believe things from people and, and just great people take to heart. People who maybe don't know you or don't care about you. Let that swing on by. Beautiful. Now it's in your bio in terms of your intro, but we never got to it. And I'm gonna squeak it in. Tell me a little bit about your book. Tell our listeners a little bit about your book. We didn't actually plug your book. What the hell? Hey, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, it exists. It's called Fail Proof, Become the Unstoppable You. It is about doing things and being the person that you're not quite sure you can be. That maybe life hasn't presented it. Maybe we don't have the resources. Maybe someone told you that you're not good enough. You're too old. You're too young. You're too much this. You're too little that. You still can do those things if you really want to. Beautiful. Alex, I am always grateful for my guests on the show. Uh, it was a pleasure having the opportunity to meet you. I want to uh, shout out to Jadine, who kind of said, dude, yeah, you got to get this awesome. dude. You know, Jadine's awesome. So I want to say uh, grateful for Jadine uh, hooking us up and uh, getting us uh, lined up to uh, have this particular conversation. So Alex, I'm grateful for your time. So thanks very, very much for joining me on the podcast today. Patrick, thank you so much, brother. This has been a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. 
And until next time, Patrick out.